Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have Mike Moulton with Optimistic Capital. And Mike flew in from Charlotte, North Carolina to talk about how he went from owning an MMA gym to running multiple businesses. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is, how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough for, to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years if you will take consistent action you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a DM on Instagram and we'll see if we can help you. If you get value out of this show, please tag it from below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Mike to answer. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do all it. All right, cool. So first question is, what got you into real estate? All right. I got to be honest. Back in the day, Russ Whitney, 2 a.m., was something about that mustache. <laughs> it was kind of like when uh, Lululemon pants first came out and you're yeah. like, just drawn in by him. That's what it was. <laughs> it was Russ. So I watched, watched an infomercial, went to uh, one of the free weekends mm -hmm. and bought four courses on multiple things, wholesaling, rehabbing, et cetera. And that was it, man. The rest was history. Uh, how long ago? Ooh, that was, I'm going to date myself here, but that was uh, early 2000s. Early yeah. 2000s. And then... Uh, it was an infomercial on TV. It was. Yep. Okay. And at this time you were in your, you, you had your gym or this is, this is way before then. No, you know, I was actually a, uh, a corporate boob, full fledged, worked for general electric, traveled the world, yeah. um, did this it leadership program. So I was doing that full time. Uh, the gym What's came in later. IT leadership. Oh, I'm sorry. Information technology. Okay. Um, completely dated compared to what your team's doing outside. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so it was basically, we were doing business to business websites in multiple languages around the globe. And, um, you're helping people make websites. Yeah. Helping people make websites to do, um, sell, we were selling plastic pellets. It wasn't that exciting, but yeah. well, but I mean, yeah. at that time there was a huge need, right? I mean, back then you had like what angel fire and like, <laughs> yeah, actually the, uh, the first, um, IMAX, remember mm -hmm. you could get them in a color, yeah, like, the, like that lime green like candy. blob. Yeah, yeah. Like we, that was all GE's pellets at the time. So gotcha. that was the only cool thing is walking through a plant and seeing like a big pallet of that spilled on the floor. You know, somebody <laughs> wasn't getting a computer for Christmas that year, but, uh, okay. So you were doing it, you're traveling to do that. Um, and then you see this infomercial Yep, catches your attention. Yep. You hear the promises of, you know, freedom, blah, blah, blah. And you go to an event. I did. And you bought four programs. I did four programs at five grand each. All right. And from those programs, you just hit it off in real estate. I did. You know, one of the things that um, I always tell people, so we went, and I say we, my wife, Jean came with me. Um, she was also in corporate America until mm -hmm. recently, but we went, we didn't have kids at the time. So we would go um, to this weekend wholesaling uh, gig. I live in North Carolina. So it was up in Greensboro area. And the one thing that instructor said that kind of changed it for me on the way I was getting education at the time was, Hey, have you ever heard of these local RIAs? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I've never heard of a RIA. What is it? So they're telling us. So then I go home and find out, <clears throat> excuse me, find out that I can uh, buy like courses and go to the RIA and get a lot of information a lot cheaper. We didn't have the, the internet was, was alive, but it wasn't like it is today. So yeah. Anyway, I actually, those courses came with deeds. So I took the other three courses and I put them on eBay and I sold them for what I paid for them and transferred the deed to this guy in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And then I was done with that. And then I was just getting education and taking action locally through, through the RIA. So, okay. So you were able to recoup your initial investment. Yep. Yep. Got it. And you know, Russ Whitney actually got a chance to meet him last month. For the oh, first did time you? Yeah. 
I, I've heard him on uh, Clubhouse and some other stuff. He seems super cool. Yeah, he seemed really nice. He had a very unorthodox way of dressing, but a very nice guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a genius. The the millions of dollars he made in info products. I mean, it's insane. Right. So you go and you you learn wholesaling, and then you take the information, and it pushed you into RIAs. It did. Yep. And then what did you do with the information in RIAs? You know, it was funny. I I had just left 2005. I I was building up to quit my corporate job. I was just getting, I was doing well in, in uh, the corporate world, but it wasn't my passion at all. So I remember closing my door the last like four months and just working on deals. Mm-hmm. And I had five deals that were all like five to five figure deals, you know, uh, 10 to $20,000 deals all ready to cash out. So I gave they were reorging and they're telling me I'm probably gonna have to move to like Wisconsin or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not happening. I live in Charlotte. Like it's way better. So anyway, I went in and I fired my manager that day and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I'm coming off the A talent list for you and I'm going to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. I come home four of those five deals went bad. What happened? So they were just like buyers, buyers, uh, couldn't get the money, wasn't finance. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I had it. Like if you go to Aria and like someone says they'll buy it, I figured they would, their word was good. Cause I'm coming from corporate America where people's word, you know, you get a four-year education minimum to be there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you say you're going to do the job, I'm like, you're going to do the job. Yeah. Then I come out in the streets and I'm like, oh, it's not so simple out here. So, right. Yeah. So you <clears throat> learn really quickly some valuable lessons. Yep. I actually um, talked to Larry Etch uh, at the last CG. Yep. And yep. it was interesting. I was talking to him like, you know, some lessons he learned from leadership. And one of the things he said was going from the Navy SEALs to civilian life is that people don't necessarily do what they say they're going to do. Right. That was like his biggest, like, what? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? Yeah. So yeah. you got to experience that on, on the streets. Oh, it happens, man. I mean, it happens. It's just people aren't, you, well, you know, we, we do a lot of construction, so mm-hmm. we see it there every day. You know, right. it's just crazy. Painters don't show up or whatever. So you already submitted your notice to quit. I did. And four of the five deals that you were expecting to close, or you were clo- expecting to close five, but four of them bailed. Yep. But you still closed that one. I did. Okay. That was, that was a, um, it turned out being my first wholesale deal. It was a total $1,000 paycheck, but I was like, man, this is like, this is it. Like mm-hmm. I did it. I still have it framed at home. It's really funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. so then what'd you do with that? So that I just put it back into, um, there was a guy back in the day. I don't know if you remember, if anyone remembers Scott Reister out of Texas, Mm-mm. It was, he had a course called, and it back then it was a physical course, like a six inch binder. I still have it. It was uh, how to get all the motivated sellers you can handle. And he was <laughs> li- a great title. Dude, it was great. <laughs> I'm like, if this was like keyword search, I'm in, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, it had like 48 different ways, like mm-hmm. bandit signs, talk to attorneys for probates, like anything you could think of. So I just right. started executing some of those strategies, but you know, one of the things, I don't know if many of your listeners are thinking about quit, quitting their jobs to go full time, but like, I felt like I needed a security blanket. So I had met this guy at the RIA, uh, Dave, super nice guy. And he seemed like he was doing a bunch of deals. Um, turns out he really wasn't doing that many deals, um, but we decided to partner up. So still good guy, but after like, you know, he had to watch his twin girls and it was just like ridiculous. So I was running circles around him. So I had mm-hmm. to break off with them early on, like six months in. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was the end. That's the last partnership I've ever had. So you took a thousand dollars you made from yep. one of your five wholesale deals, spent it on Scott's program. Yep. And turned that into 
Uh, that first year I, I was, I was able to make like 60, $70,000. I mean, I was making six figures in my twenties working for GE. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, it wasn't as exciting, but what was cool about it was I saw the opportunity of what we could do. Yeah. So I started um, marketing for subject twos and lease options to people with low, low equity in their homes mm -hmm. with, with good fixed loans in place. So at this time though, you were able to prove the concept. This is not just a dream on an infomercial. Correct. Correct. That's real. right. And now you're committed. Yep. I'm committed. So I'm at committed. this point, were you ever going back to corporate America? No. I kept saying to myself, I could always go back because I had a great resume. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, this is just not, it's not like I'm a hard worker. I mean, people always say, you know, you want to, you want to work. What is it? A hundred hours a week. Go mm -hmm. work for yourself. Yeah. I mean, some people do have that, that existence. But for me, like everything I do and work on for the most part is so much fun. Right. It's not work. It's not know? work. Yeah. Okay. So 60, 70 K your first year. And then what that turned into? That turned into, um, we were just marketing. Like I was saying, like, I think it was realist was I had a subscription to realist back in the day and was pulling, um, people five, five, that bought a house five years or less mm -hmm. with 90% or more leverage with, um, I think back in the day, now I'm really dating myself. It was like 5.8% or below loans. Like mm -hmm. that was an insane rate. Um, but really what we're looking for there is just people that couldn't afford to work with a realtor to exit the property. Mm -hmm. And they were just willing to deed it over into a trust. And we used, um, we, we did that way and had a whole process and then we're able to take over an asset and then sell it on a lease option or seller finance. So generally people are targeting high equity. Mike's targeting low equity. Correct. It was like, and, and they're kind of like what the hedge fund guys are buying now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like now it's 1990 or newer. Uh, back then it was literally like 10 year old homes or less. And it's like, you really is like shooting fish in a barrel when you're marketing to that. Cause these people don't have another out. Right. So we were doing that. And then um, all of a sudden uh, 2008 started creeping in and that just was like, that was a challenging time. So before I jump into that, yeah, what was some what was some of the adversity you were facing, right? Because I mean, you're transitioning <clears throat> from W two to working on your own. What was yep. some of the challenges you faced initially jumping into working for yourself and, and and not dabbling? You were all in, but like starting your real estate business. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The first one was my parents going, "You left Jack Welch to go do this? Are you insane?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Stop." It's going to be fine. Uh, the second one was I mean, Jack Welch is a big deal. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? Like that guy worked his butt off. He's legendary, yeah. but he also had like one or two heart attacks and got divorced one or two times. So it's like, there's trade-offs details, details, you know, the fine print, no one reads about. Yeah. Um, but the, the biggest challenge was when I was like part of a team in corporate America, I had like one focus. Now, all of a sudden I'm the marketer, the bookkeeper, you know, the chief cook and bottle washer, like anything to do in that business. Mm -hmm. So that was my first challenge. Um, and then really just kind of shifting that really did start pushing right up towards the downturn um, where things got really challenging. So, so you were still yeah. a solopreneur this whole time. Yes. I, yeah. To clarify, I went full-time in 2005, mm -hmm. um, had this partner for like six months. Right. And then I was like solo from then on. So, yeah, but you didn't have assistants, employees, no, I had one assistant. I one had assistant. one assistant. Yeah. Okay. So she helped get marketing campaigns out, answering the phones, things Got like it. that. Okay. Yep. All right. And then you jumped and then the recession hit you. <clears throat> yep. And you have all these low equity deals. Yep. So what happened to you then? Oh man, I tell you, 
literally, I get a call from one of our lease option tenants and they're like, Hey Mike, can you meet me over at Dunkin' Donuts? And I'm like, I like donuts. It's all good. So I roll over there and then I sit down and they're like, listen, just want to be professional. And these are people with big jobs. Like they're working for like Honeywell or like any of the big IBM, any of these big companies in the Charlotte market, they're professional people. And they're mm -hmm. like, I lost my job and I have no plans on getting another one. Like I, I, I don't see that for myself. I'm trying, but I'm getting destroyed here. It's not in the foreseeable future. Right. So they're, they're like, we're going to actually screw you over. Like, I'm like, what, what's going those on? Those are the words. Yeah. I'm like, you, so you call me to Dunkin' Donuts. They don't even have jelly sticks at this Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you sit me down and then you tell me, like, you're going to screw me over. Like, I don't know whether to thank you for being professional about screwing me over or punch you in the face. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. So then I, I take that one back. It's go. Oh, then the guy goes, Oh, and by the way, in North Carolina, cause they all did the research. It's 45 days minimum to evict somebody. So we're going to keep our family under this roof as long as we can. I'm like, holy shnikes. But there is professionals that can be as you're telling F you to your face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this might have been what drove, drove me into MMA at some point. I don't know. <laughs> so then, then all of a sudden the next week, I get someone and they're like, hey, can you meet at Starbucks? And I'm like, man, are we really doing this again? And like, it was the same thing. So this started happening. So I always tell people in the early days with those subject two deals, it was like having like 20, 30 kids, but like, like. 10 of them needed braces every month. I'm like, cause people, you get people out and then all of a sudden it's a five, six grand turn, mm -hmm. you know, doing carpet paint, whatever to get it out again. And you're hoping to get five to 10 grand down to go again, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that was one of my days in uh, subject to lease option exits. So what happened to all those subject twos? Cause one of the things that a concern, <clears throat> whether from a homeowner or people getting into sub two, Yep. is what happens if the tenant stops paying and then what are you going to do? Cause you're stuck, you're stuck holding the bag. So that's correct. So you can structure them different ways. I learned different ways to structure them. So I initially said to someone, Hey, if you, if I say, um, in, in the, in the rule, like if you're looking at modern day strategy, right, you can go on someone says, Hey, I've got a house to sell at 125 main street. You go on Zillow and it says, Hey, estimated rent is a thousand per month or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, the payments like, maybe 600 PITI. I'm just using simple numbers. Sure. Um, so you're like, Oh, I got a $400 spread. So you could take over that loan and then get that lease option tenant mm -hmm. in there. Um, what we, what I did initially was I would tell people, Hey, you know, I'll, if I, when I take over your payment, I'm responsible for this, um, ethically and through the paperwork till it's, till it's, till we either refinance you out or however mm -hmm. we do it. What, what I would do differently is I started um, talking to other creative finance guys, some of the older generation that's like doing maybe they know everything they, they know. They, they forgot more than we know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So and the they, advice they gave you was, so the, so it was like, Hey, why don't you make it so that you're not responsible for the payments until you find your lease option buyer? Mm -hmm. and I said, well, that's smart. Cause sometimes I would burn two, three months just, just doing that. Um, and then they've also were like, you can put clauses in there that says if, if that lease option tenant doesn't work out, um, they are responsible again, the seller for that payment until you mm -hmm. find someone else. Now I didn't feel ethically that that was, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Cause I'm like, if these people literally are looking at us to provide a solution, that's not really the right way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, what ended up happening was I took like 
all my savings to keep these things going. It was like literally a bunch of kids with no teeth by the end of it. Um, I made it through. Um, a lot of people did not make it through that time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some rough spots, a lot of sleepless nights. But you know, we but you kept that all subsidies. Yeah, we kept them. We kept them. Then That's sold them off. Commendable. Yeah, yeah. We did. We did the best we could at the time. And um, you know, now any of those that you kept are double or tripling in price right. now. So another yeah. thing is because some of the people that are, are doing this, you know, they're jumping into this. There, they may be married, have other people that you know rely on them. So right. As you're losing sleep, you and I will deal with adversity, right? We'll lose sleep, whatever. Right. But our wives may not handle adversity the same way. That's correct. How is that affecting things at home? Well, the good thing is um, you've met my wife, Jean. She's mm-hmm. like probably the coolest woman I know. I mean, I'm not saying that to get like more points this weekend or anything, <laughs> but she really is. But she what's cool with her. And this is like marriage advice for anyone that wants it mm-hmm. is you. If you have a spouse that actually has their own purpose every day, like from a um, work perspective or whatever it is. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off. Like mm. if you have a stay at home um, wife or husband or whatever, that there's nothing wrong with that. But I think when they're so busy every day, focusing on, it's like she, she was building her career. She stayed on the corporate track till mm-hmm. recently. So she wasn't as like dial. She, she was like, what happened today? And then she's like, all right. And then she had all this other stuff to do. Yeah. So it really, it really was. Um, she was very supportive. So it, it reduced the burden. Reduce the burden. Yeah. Gotcha. Like Gene and I have actually never really fought. We don't, yeah. we don't like take well, you're that energy. A gigantic human being. I wouldn't fight you either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big, man. I get to fight the gym. But, but yeah, I mean, like we, we just look at it as there's just so much negative energy. Mm-hmm. Why spend it on each other? Like, let's just figure stuff out. If anything kid related. Yeah. She's the, like, <laughs> you're right. And yeah. she is, she's always right. All right. So then. <laughs> You got this challenge. You're able to survive it. What were you doing to deal with this challenge? Um, well, basically just upping the marketing for lease option tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, we were using bandit signs back. So you in the didn't day. change your exit strategy. You just kept with that exit strategy. Yeah, I couldn't really because I mean we we would um we were lying. To, I was lying to myself. Like I'd be like, hey, I'm gonna get three to ten percent down on this next one. And then we even started like. Hey, you're, you're like, if it needed five or six K, like you can either take it as is, or like, that's part of your down payment, you know, just getting creative. I'm like, I don't want to spend another six grand on this house. Mm-hmm. Like if you can come in and show me, you can fix it up. And we had like a, a schedule over 90 days, you would get a credit of this against the house mm-hmm. and they had to have some money, but some of those just turned out being rentals because we were like, okay, forget the lease option strategy. We just got to get through the storm right now. Yeah. So that's basically what we did. Yeah. And then when did things change? Things changed, um, 2000, 2010, nine, 10, I started working short sales. Mm-hmm. So that was basically, um, that became my number one strategy was just doing short sale, quick turns. Um, and what does that mean? Working short sales? Yeah. So we were, bas- we were marketing to, um, other realtors and to homeowners directly that were facing foreclosure. We were, uh, stopping the, the, um, sales if we needed to, we were making offers on the properties. Um, working with the banks and their appraisers or BPO agents, mm-hmm. uh, broker price opinion, come out and value the properties. And then we would either buy the property for the price we could get, or if it was too high, we would just work to either broker it out mm-hmm. or whatever we had to do to get it disposed. So you were sourcing the stress sales, 
taking those homeowners that raised their hands, tried to negotiate with the bank. If it didn't work, refer it to a realtor who would list it. Right. And we actually, because I own a brokerage, we would just keep it in-house and do that. You own a brokerage? Yep. When did you open a brokerage? I opened the brokerage in 2005. So, five. So before this whole mess, you opened up a brokerage. Yeah, I mean, I opened it up as. A, so here's what happened. If you want the, the real history, Steve, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna lift up the yeah. covers for you. So so when in North Carolina, when I started Subject Twos, it might have been 2006 on the brokerage. 2005 six. When I started Subject Twos, there was this huge mass like law issues coming from Raleigh. Like. No, no investors can take over any property subject to because they didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's fraudulent. It's this and that. Unless you have a broker license. We're like, really? And so they're like, yeah, because then we can keep our thumb on you. Like Oklahoma now. Yes, it is. It is. History repeats itself. Yeah. So the entire. So we have two Rias in Charlotte. So I say we have a diarrhea. But <laughs> <laughs> the two Rias in Charlotte. We're like pushing towards petitions like crazy, like sign this, like we can't do this to us. Meanwhile, while they're doing that, I'm like, how long does it take to get a license? And back then it was a sales agent license and then a broker license. Um, now it's just one, one broker license. But anyway, it was four weeks and then you take this state exam and then I could immediately go into broker for four weeks, so like eight weeks and two exams. I was, I had my own firm and then they changed <laughs> it. I was the last class. You could do that. Now it's two or three years. Yeah. So anyway, I just did that. I'm like, cause I'm not doing anything wrong anyway. I'm trying to help people. Well, and I think the, the lesson here, there's probably multiple lessons here, but one of them is that you didn't take no for an answer. No, it was, how can I fix this? And like one of my biggest pet peeves, I'm talking to a vendor. Yeah. It's like, we can't do that. It's like, right. all right, well this relationship is over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but if it's like, <clears throat> how can we do this? Like, I'm glad you're, you're asking this question. Let's figure out how we can do this. Right. Yeah. But someone says, I can't do this. Yeah. We don't need you. Yeah. You provide no <laughs> value to me right now. Okay. So you go get your license and start your brokerage so that you can do creative financing. Yeah. It was for creative financing. And also like if we, if we did ever sell anything like a fix and flip or mm-hmm. something, it was primarily to be able to uh, look for deals, you know, on the MLS, but also just be able to make extra commissions on our stuff. But it came in really handy in the insurance market. It did. Yeah. It came in really handy. You know, we had to have a ton of disclosures because we were, we were also the principals buying it. Plus we were listing it and whatever, but we just disclosed the heck out of everything. Yeah. Okay. So short sales were lucrative. They were, they were, it was, um, it was, I didn't realize it was weighing on me, um, help having to, having everyone's burdens on you all day long on our team. Like, mm-hmm. cause you've got, then we started getting a whole group of people that were using us to stay in their houses longer where they'd be like, Hey, I need you to postpone my sale one more time. And I'm like, well, we don't just do that. Like it's cause we're trying to get the deal done, not like whatever. And then, you know, if we were went to list the house while they're still in it, they're leaving it a mess, like disgusting. It shows awful. We can't get it sold. They weren't keeping up their side of the, the bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just started weighing on us a lot. So there's a transition to the yeah. next phase, which is, um, I got into, Fix and flipping again. I said, you know what? Well, sort of hard, more hardcore 2011 and a half and 12. Mm-hmm. I said, um, I went into HUD home store, um, dot com, And like everybody that was buying off HUD, I said, listen, that was the first wave 2012, 13 of the hedge funds coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think Screwing of the things up for <clears throat> us at the foreclosure sales. Yes. Like everything was just getting insane. So all that was the first round of all the local brokers, mm-hmm. like, 
pouring themselves out to get these guys product. Mm-hmm. So I said, instead of in the, in the Charlotte Metro, which is Mecklenburg County where everyone's beating each other up. I'm like, I'm going to go in the six counties or five counties that touch it and not do that and just build a construction team that can travel. Like, mm-hmm. and when I say travel, I'm saying within an hour of downtown Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that's harder work. Like people don't want to put in the harder work, mm-hmm. but the harder work has bigger paydays and it's generally more, more re- repeatable and reproducible. Right. So that's what I did. So I got on homestore.com, got a virtual assistant. She's still with us today. And every morning I would just pull down the list of houses I wanted. We had like a spreadsheet on how to make the offers, send them to her. She made the offers. And then um, we'd wait and see what we got. And then we just rehab houses. Okay. So you, you weren't going there as far as contract services. You were just finding houses to flip. Right. Hut home store. Exactly. When did you do the gym? The gym was at the exact same time. Okay. So 2012, I started training uh, mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. And as my wife, Jean always says, she's like, why is every hobby that you enjoy, you have to turn into a business? And I'm like, I don't know if anyone else is like that, but that was me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I really liked my trainer. He was an ex UFC fighter and we were just, you know, I was, it was a whole new world for me. And, mm-hmm. and MMA was like super hot, super cool back then. I mean, it still is, but like the UFC was kind of just getting its notoriety. Uh, Dana White had taken it over. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was just a culture you wanted to be in. Right. So we opened up a gym in like a, inside of a velocity sports performance, which they have those in all the major cities. Like people train for the Olympics in them. Mm-hmm. And we got an octagon. Actually, we had to get a hexagon because we did not have the trademarks from Dana White to get yeah. the octagon. But anyway, so we were we were training and then we had like some fighters and local promotions, which was fun. Um, the name of the I think I left the website up, actually, Shock Factor MMA. Um, it was just a cool little website. Mm-hmm. It had a fist with like lightning bolts breaking out <laughs> was our logo. But man, I tell you what, that went the deal of it was was I would do more of the business side of that, like really promote the business, get it set up or whatnot. And my partner in it, the MMA partner would do the coaching and training. Yeah. What ended up happening was like, it's not that profitable of a business at all. And all of the fighters that we had were all like young bucks, like, you know, 18 to 22. Mm -hmm. And they're all like every one of them. Hey man, can I um, like maybe sweep up this month and not pay? And like, I'm like, all right, I don't need, 22 of these guys doing this. Like, you get some really clean floors. Oh yeah. Like this place is freaking spotless. We're going to have lunch here <laughs> on the floor. But so anyway, I realized my um, MMA business partner wasn't really, it wasn't really his skill set to build out. He could build out trainings, but not like what you need to do to get, you know, local social media and all this to, right. to drive people into the gym and for converting them. So it just, after a year, I was like, his name was John. I'm like, John, I love you, but this is, I got to just focus on real estate full time. You know, I've, I've got the same issue, right? How do we monetize this? Like, you know, everything we do, like, how can we, how can we make money from this? And so I'm, you know, I do Kung Fu, right? Yeah. And so I want to, like, I, I, I tell my Sifu, like, if we could just record this and just post this, like, just imagine what we can do. But yeah, they're, they're, they're very opposed to it. But yeah, I want to monetize every, every hobby. It's just like you say. Yeah, it, it got a little crazy. So we sold off everything. I had my garage was full of like all this awesome MMA equipment. And I'm like, I think it's rotting away in here. I should yeah. sell it. So we sold everything and that was pretty much it. And I okay. miss it. So yeah. that was a 12 month venture. Yeah, it was a 12 month venture, man. All right. Okay. So now you got, you're buying from HUD home store. You're buying for those of you guys don't know, you're buying directly from FHA, right? FHA foreclosures. Yep. Uh, so you're buying from there. You're flipping those. Yep. And then you added some additional ventures. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it took me, I was, I was basically, um, fixing flipping from that point on. And then we got into how can we find more? We, we started networking with local wholesalers. Like I know a lot of people are doing that now mm -hmm. to get deals. So when you're a rehabber and you know what your cost is and you know what your fulfillment capability is on a, on a project, um, a lot of the wholesalers don't real, like, I mean, they become very valuable to you because, you know, other people might say, Hey, that's not a deal, but I'm like, I know everything from the deal out the door to the dispo. So if I can fit deals into that window, like, yes, I'll work with wholesalers all the time. So we just started doing that mm -hmm. and that worked out really well. Um, and we just were able to really feed our inventory for three, four years over very little direct mail, HUD home store, and just working with local guys, going to meetups and stuff like yeah. that. And that's what, that was basically what, uh, Mark Del Toro and Chris Johns, they came on the show and they're talking about how <laughs> their entire business is predicated on cold wholesaling, not cold selling, buying from wholesalers to create a uh, product. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're a turnkey provider, like they are, I mean, it's just, it's so much easier because they, they know, like I was saying, you start at the end and back your way mm -hmm. in to what you need to pay for something. Well, it's, it's just math. And yeah. I, I think that's his word. It's, it's just math. <laughs> It's just math. Yeah. All right. So fix and flipping, but you've also got some other additional revenues. Yeah. So now, now we've gotten into, um, I've got adapt a couple cool adaptive reuse commercial projects. So adaptive reuse is basically when you take something from its existing, um, status, like say a shopping mall and you could make it into self storage or something like that. I haven't done that, but mm -hmm. I've got warehouses that we are creating, um, we're adapting them into apartments. So cool boutique apartments and then like some commercial spaces in the front. So I've got one of those going and I've got another historic building that's eligible for historic tax credits, which is cool. So those are, those are buy and hold uh, mm -hmm. strategies. Um, another thing we're doing, we've got, we got our first self storage this year facility. Mm -hmm. we got a second one under contract. Um, so what we try to do is really get in and learn a, a certain like way of doing things before we try to everyone uses the word scale. The word scale like can be very scary because you don't want to scale a bunch of crap. You know what I mean? And like, I see that way too much. Like we're all like type a personalities. Like, well, we want to get to the finish line, yeah. but we don't want to do the work necessary. Get us to the point where we can get to the finish line. Correct. Correct. So it's, it's been like, one of those things where the last two or three years. So I will 100 say one of my, weaknesses that could be a strength I don't know is I really enjoy figuring out like another strategy like mm -hmm. I I enjoy that if I can just problem go, solving yeah go to a coffee shop with my laptop in the morning like how are we going to do this whatever that's what I like to do now when you do that on new ventures or new strategies it's not always the most profitable until you figure out how to do it the right way the right way yeah or just you, you take more licks to the chin yeah you know so Anyway, I became two years ago, I became a manufactured home dealer in North Carolina as well. So we do modular homes. We do double wides like on land. Um, so we'll do infill projects where there's extra lots that mm -hmm. are left in communities that were developed 15 years ago. We'll come in and clear them either well and septic or community sewer and water and throw those in. And like I said, like affordable housing is not going anywhere nationwide. No, and it's not. There's just no, not there's more housing. and more need for it. So yeah. I want to ask a couple of different questions here. Sure. Uh, first question is running multiple businesses. Yes. Right? Um, this was not your role when you were a GE. 
No. There must have been some challenges and adversity along the way. How did you get from a guy running business by himself, failed partnership, to running multiple businesses? Yeah, basically it was just, um, I mean, you know, the, the corny weak answer would be, I just kept pushing through it. But mm-hmm. I mean, I did. You did. But literally, so here's the thing. You can either be, when, when I first started, Russ Whitney, back in the day with the stash, mm-hmm. said, listen, you need to be a transactional engineer. So you spend 10 grand on marketing or whatever it is. Every single lead that comes in, you have to be able to monetize it. Well, as a newbie, that is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Like this one should be a landlord. This one, like, like buy and hold. This one should be a wholesale. This one should be a fix and flip. This one should be a whole tail, like whatever. And you don't even know what you're talking about at that point. Mm-hmm. So I always say like, you know, when you're first starting out, you have to pick one. Because I, you could argue what I do, and I, I argue this with a lot of our friends at CG. What we do is like we run our business like a mutual fund, and and the reason it we have all these strategies, and the reason is because it hurt so bad in 2008, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, I got to get off that that fear, right? So you got you got to move past the fear. So anyway, we know how you just take one thing at a time and dig into it, but. You can't go on theory. You have to put money up and try stuff. Yeah. Luckily, I've never had any like ginormous failures like mm-hmm. that were like took me out of the game. But we all have losses. I mean, I we still lose on one house a year at least. Right. It's not like catastrophic, like 100 G's or anything. But, you know, we, we all have those losses. So you got to be able to take risk. I think your risk tolerance gets better as you take more action. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... <clears throat> Obviously, I mean, you made it through. Was there was there coaching along the way? Were there peers, the Rias? Like, who were who were you bouncing ideas off? Yeah, I will say. So the Ria thing ended pretty early for me. Like that mm-hmm. that ended two thousand eight or nine. Uh, you know what's really funny is our buddy Larry Goins. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the head of the Ria when I joined back in the day, and now Larry's a good friend yeah. uh, locally in Charlotte. But um, yes, I got involved with. I sought out people that had these the knowledge or skill sets. Like either the gurus, whatever you want to call them, but the people. And I, I place myself in those environments and it's very uplifting when everybody's got, you know, your, your network is your net worth. Everyone mm-hmm. says that, but when everyone's got similar challenges, then all of a sudden you realize you're like, you have all these people, you have a Rolodex. Mm-hmm. So you got to put yourself in the environments where like, for example, manufactured housing, I went out to Clayton, Clayton. Oh, actually, you know what? I started this. I went to a um, manufactured home uh, seminar, uh, not seminar, like a conference before mm-hmm. COVID. And I met all these, I met some guys from Clayton, Clayton homes. They're like the biggest. And then I went out there and like met with them and talked through walk job sites. Like you got to put the work in. That's the yeah. thing. So now we've systematized all that stuff and all the processes for that. So we can scale that into subdivisions. Okay. So <clears throat> did I answer so your question? I'm, in, I feel like I'm stepping way. around. No, not at all. So in okay. a way, right. Is, is the networking is who, you know? Yes. And I love this answer because um, for a lot of those that know me somewhat well, yep. I'm fairly antisocial, right? I'm a yeah. big time introvert. It doesn't appear that way on camera, but I'm a big time introvert. Sure. And so the team kind of lasts, like, you know, for someone who doesn't like talking to people, Steve sure knows a lot of people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Cause he's like, Hey, I need this. No problem. I know the guy. People would never know that there's six inches of plexiglass between us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So, um, the other thing too is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Chris Johns, right? Yep. Is that it's easy to say, I got businesses, well, not easy to say, but you know, we can say like, I got businesses and my business is doing this, producing that, whatever. 
But I argue the, the greatest challenge is the people element. 100%. So you've got multiple businesses. How are you dealing with the people challenges? I will tell you this. We, we work harder than resourcing the business like in a different way. That, mm-hmm. that sounds very bland. I'll explain. So we have a very small team. I only have six people on shore plus me plus four VAs offshore running all these companies. Yes. Yes. Wow. So we're not, we, we outsource a lot. Mm-hmm. Like we outsource, like in the manufactured housing, you have to have a license. You have to be a licensed dealer to get the product, which is a challenge right now anyway. Um, but you have to be a licensed setup contract. You have to have a licensed setup contractor that can set the houses. And, and there's a bunch of like things like that. So we just really spend our time focusing on um, the who, not the how, like mm-hmm. that book was just life-changing for me like even figuring out like how to be awesome at social media like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna like do what you do like i'm gonna get the who right? right but that's that's really the key so we run we we are right now positioned where we have figured out in all these different businesses if we want to resource them and i look at it like a dj mixer right you've got 29 knobs well call it 10 or 6 whatever my strategies businesses if I want to jam each one up to 10, that's very unfocused mm-hmm. unless I think I learned from GE. I watched how they ran multiple business units. Like, you know, you have one in aircraft, you have one in plastic, you have one in air conditioning, like whatever. Like that wasn't unfocused for them. Mm-hmm. Like I have this argument with people all the time and it's a good argument. But <clears throat> I think if you put an integrator like in each strategy, mm-hmm. you can. We're, we're actually talking about this all the time right now in my business, like. Do we want to throttle these or not? Why don't we look at um, the profit margins on different ones? And also the biggest thing that I measure now uh, being at the age I'm at, which I'm not going to mention is ROE 35, 35, never been kissed, Um, (laughs) but it's like, it's ROE, right? Mm -hmm. It's return on effort. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure any of us could probably do just about anything. I mean, where are we going to be Elon Musk and sending people to the moon? I'm not. That's mm-hmm. too exhausting. But if we wanted to, I bet we could. Mm-hmm. But that's the whole thing. What's the ROE? Like, is it going to just drain the heck out of you for the next five years? Yeah. So that's what we're looking at all the time. Like, we do Airbnbs. We've got just have five. We've got two more that are that we've got planned. So that'll be seven. Now, to get to the five, are we the best at running Airbnbs? No. But we're, we're the, we're the Pareto principle. We're, we're doing the 80%, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get it done and get it done profitably. Um, I think that's kind of like that takes a back road. So you're marketing for fix and flips and wholesales, wholesales, whatever. And you see, Oh, that one's nice. Let's pick that off. And my, my strategy for Airbnbs is they have to be high walkability scores mm-hmm. and nice properties that we want someone else to pay off. Yeah. Like, so anyway, I'm, I'm so getting all over the cherry place. picking, cherry picking. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my point is you can have multiple strategies or businesses like some are going to take the front, the front focus and the others can be sort of ancillary, mm-hmm. you know, sim- similar to self-storage. All right. You know, so the other thing, too, is the partnership component. So you said you'll never do a partnership again. Why is that? I will never do a partnership on a business, but I will do partnerships on deals. I'm actually talking through one now for a for a really cool project we're talking through. Um, the reason is I just feel like I can work people like to death. Like, I mean, I can, I can run circles around people because mm-hmm. I, I really care. And if someone doesn't have the level of commitment that I have, 
Mm-hmm. Um, then it's not going to work like for an actual like business. Right. As far as the core values component. Correct. Correct. So I think if you get into partnerships, a lot of people do it maybe like how I started, like you wanted a security blanket mm-hmm. to quit your job or like, Hey, I got someone else I can run stuff off of every right. day or split the risk, split the risk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So now, I mean, like you see it now, like basic partnerships that work well all the time that aren't necessarily a business are a lender and an operator. Right. Mm-hmm. I have private lenders. They're like, they want to get those returns, but they're, they're tired. They don't want to deal with like the guy I dealt with that, I, that we just threw off the job. They don't necessarily want to hustle and bustle. They right. just want to return. Right. They actually call people like me horses. They're like, let's bet on the horses. We need some <laughs> horses to put our money out there on the street, yeah. you know, but I'm not at the point yet where I want to be a, an ender lender. You know, like I think there's phases of your life. Now, one thing that you uh, mentioned uh, was you took some time off to just focus on building your house. Yes. What compelled you to do that? So I, you might know this, Steve, but I don't think your audience knows it. Like I am super hands-on. Like I am most fulfilled in life when I'm building stuff. Mm -hmm. So if it's Saturday morning and the kids are like playing Fortnite with their buddies because now the kids are old enough. I'm outside with all my tools and my Polaris Ranger driving around my property, building stuff. That's, that's what relaxes me. I enjoy it. So I said, you know what? I want to do this for my family. Um, and there's some lessons here for everybody. So here are my kids, my boys are now nine and 13. So this was five, six years ago. Um, so do that math. They were little. Um, I said, listen, I want to build my own house. Like that was one of my bucket list items I wanted to do. Now I ended up buying a lot of land and cleared it all myself, every single tree. Like it was insane. It wasn't the most productive thing I did. No, but I was in heaven. Yeah. Every day I'm out in the woods with my track loader, my chainsaws, like just <laughs> where do I want my driveway? Like, oh, that looks good. Yeah, let's bring it around this way. See the lake in the background. Um, so I was I was in heaven. So yeah. during that time, we were literally just, I only had to work three hours a day because mm-hmm. we were getting HUD home, home store inventory. Mm-hmm. Just give it to our construction team, like, and then give it to our realtor on our team to sell it. That's all we did. So it allowed me for what was supposed to be two years to be three years to build this awesome place that mm-hmm. now is paid for and my family loves it. Now, they do all appreciate it, but this is a learning to be careful for people that might do something similar is you find out that when the kids are that little, they just want you. They could care less about how nice the house is or whatnot. So I was very cognizant not to be like the dad that was never around during those period. Like in other words, it's I'm just going to take three years and do it and never talk to them. Mm-hmm. We spent a ton of time with them, but I mean, they'd come up and visit me and stuff. But like, it's something you just got to watch as a business owner because we can all, and, and even if your thing's not building, but it's like, how do you get, you know, 2 million followers on YouTube or whatever it is. And you're jammed in a room for 24 hours a day. I mean, you just, we ought to be cognizant. Well, of that's something that you and I mm-hmm. talked about right before we started was that um, I'm playing basketball like a lot now, right? Three times a week. And I was sharing with my personal trainer. Uh, he was complimenting me yesterday, you know, on the progress I've made. It's like, I said to him, like, there's this video by Patrick by David where every yeah. year on his birthday, he compares himself to a younger version of himself, right? Would I pick 42 year old me? Or 27-year-old me. And for me, that's a tough decision. Like, you know, 27-year-old me could take unlimited risk. Right. right? 27-year-old me did not need sleep. (laughs) Right. Man, if I don't sleep now, it's rough the next day. I know. Right? I know. I also can't take the same risk, right? I'm married with kids. Yep. So, but it's it's close. But, you know, I would probably pick 42-year-old me because I've got the wisdom. 
Right. But in sports, I was thinking 42-year-old me versus 32-year-old me. Sadly, 42-year-old me is in much better shape than 32-year-old me because 32-year-old me just had a kid. Right. Is building a business. Yes. Is grinding, is not sleeping, and like health went out the window. Right. Right. So I'm in much better shape and condition now than then, which is going back to your point, right? Like the, the, the being sure to be present for your kids or whatever it's right now, maybe you need to be present for your kids, but there's also that component that you can't take your health and like, let it go, which is kind of what I was doing at that time. Right. I know. And I, I'll be honest, like, you know, we all work off the, uh, well, I, I would try to live by the five F's, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, faith, family, financial freedom, friendship, fitness, like if I don't have those in balance, I start getting squirrely. And mm-hmm. right now I was like a big CrossFitter for years up until COVID hit. And I just haven't, I like, I haven't gotten back. I'm gaining weight. It's awful. So like, that's bothering me that my fitness isn't where it was. And, um, even faith, like I'm a, I, you know, we've been going to church on YouTube. It sounds awful. Yeah. Great services awesome. by the way. And, and I love like, we love Content's it. Content's great. <laughs> I'm an usher at our local church and I'm like, I haven't been back since they, like, it's been like four months. So like, you can mm. come back. I feel terrible. I feel out of balance. So like, yeah. you know, we all go through those phases in life. I think, um, right. I think there's three distinct phases of life. There's the beginner phase where you're like, or the education phase you're learning how, like you asked me earlier, how did you learn how to do something? How do you do it? I dig in. I find the right people in crowd and dig in. Then there's the builder phase and we're probably all still in the builder phase. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more in like third quarter. You're in like probably second quarter. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at a football game, Um, I'm not ready to call it end yet. And then there's the end game. And I know a lot of guys, like I just came back from another mastermind. I call these guys ender lenders Mm -hmm. because when you become the end game, you might cash in some of your chips and then you want to lend it out to guys in the other phase, right? In the builder Mm -hmm. phase that are operators and horses out on the street. I really feel that's kind of like the three phases of a real estate investing career. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was thinking like, you know, kind of miss the fun of building something. Right. Cause like that it's, there's more adventure when like you're close to failure and you're like trying to figure it out and you're struggling. So anyway, uh, that's just an aside there. So uh, on YouTube, uh, Kiali Maho wants to know when working with wholesalers, do you JV with them or do you buy strictly from them? I generally buy strictly from them. Um, I just know that we are good operators with what we're going to do on the, the dispo side. So mm-hmm. I tend to just rather have the asset and decide how I want to exit it. Like whether we do it as an Airbnb, a fix and flip or however we want to do it. Got it. Yep. And then do you tell them what you're going to pay or do they tell you what they want? It's a mix. It's a mix. I think um, I'll be honest as, as someone that will buy from a wholesaler and I also am a wholesaler, but I don't enjoy it when people are like, Hey, what, what would you give me for it? I mean, I'll tell you what I'll give you for it, but like, do you have any kind of range? Like, cause you might just be so ridiculous, like a terrible negotiator. And this is like 70 K over what I can pay for it. Mm-hmm. So like, are we going to go back and forth like this? Or are you right. just going to be like, I'd be happy with this, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. So. <clears throat> and then, um, as a cash buyer or flipper, what are you looking for in a wholesaler? I'm looking for someone that um, is going to be reliable with deals and it's okay if you're not pumping a ton of volume, that's fine. But just with what you bring, like understand what my buying criteria is. I mean, everybody, you go to these seminars and they say, you know, go build a buyer's list and put out signs on the corners that say like deals, 
whatever, 40% off build a buyer's list. That's fine. That's a good way to do it. But just when you like, if you took the time as a wholesaler to meet someone like me, that'll buy your stuff and just like, I hate to say Dunkin' Donuts again, because there's only so many jelly sticks a guy can eat in his life. But, but seriously, just come meet me and be like, what can I do? Like, where can I fit in and listen, mm-hmm. don't send me stuff like nine counties away. That's like, like, I don't buy anything really built before 1950 because yeah. it always turns into a shite show. Pardon my French. When we get into a buyer escrow, when we're selling it. So unless it's in a really hot historic area, I will do that because the buy and hold. But, um, but anyway, yeah, like really understand what you want and understand you and your needs. Yeah. And be okay. You know, like if you want to do some trial products, sending them to us, like, Hey, is this one going to work? If so, Mm -hmm. why not? That's great. That's how you get feedback and really dial in, you know, and not be so broad with what you're trying to offer people. Uh, and then has a wholesaler ever screwed you? A wholesaler. Let me see. You know, I've been screwed a number of times, like left, right, up and down from tons of people, mostly in the construction world. Um, I've had wholesalers try to go around us on deals. I think everyone's had that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had wholesalers tell me, hey, you've got the contract. We like we spend two hours negotiating it. And they're like, I'm sending the contract over right now. The next thing you know, I see someone else closes on it. Like the contract never comes like that only goes so far in a small market. Like yeah. don't like do well, that. Every people. market's a small market. Even if <laughs> right. your market's gigantic, it's a very small community. It is. It is. Like, I think if you just like are honest with people, like, listen, Mike, I know we just agreed on this. Got a guy that just came in. He looks legit. He's going to give me five more grand. I'm not asking you to go five more grand, but I got to do this for my business. Just face the facts and tell me that I'll be like, mm-hmm. all right, I get it. I'm not happy about it, but yeah, at least you were like, an upholding citizen. Yeah. And then and what are some of your dislikes or hate when you're dealing with a wholesaler? Man. And I'm loving this question from Kelly because she's a wholesaler and she's trying to figure out what flippers want. Yeah. I think, I think I hate when wholesalers, um, <clears throat> two things I really hate um, when wholesalers wholesale other people's wares all over the local market, the mm-hmm. local Facebook groups, and they don't even, they're not direct to seller. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have an agreement with someone to be able to like be their marketing arm, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I just got, actually, it's funny. Um, you know, Jacob Mullins, he's, he's mm-hmm. a buddy of ours. He, he just, we just signed, I was in the parking lot. I just docu-signed this cool deal. This thing had been getting passed around like a weed cigarette in my market. He's not even in my market. He's in Myrtle beach. And I'm like, he calls me, he's like, you buy in that neighborhood, right? And I'm like, yeah, I have one across the street for an Airbnb. But anyway, this hit our acquisitions guys. It hit me. It hit from 29 different people. And I kept asking who is direct to seller. And they're all like, I'm direct to seller PM me. And then I PM them and well, I'm working with a local wholesaler on it. I'm mm-hmm. like, so you're not direct to seller. Like, so a, so don't lie. That drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Um, wait, the question was like, what, not what do you do? dislike or hate? Like what oh, yeah. some activities? And the second thing, I'm sorry, I'm losing my track. So the one is like, don't market other people's stuff unless you like have a legitimate like agreement with them. Two is um, underwrite the deals a little bit yourselves. Like don't just tie something up and send it out to see what's going to stick. Cause mm-hmm. like that, that's lazy. It's so lazy. It's so lazy. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, and I like when wholesalers provide potential exit strategies. Um, they don't have to do our deal. Like mm-hmm. they don't have to do the underwriting for us, but it's nice when they do kind of yeah. like, Hey, you know, uh, it's um, more professional. It is a lot. A lot of the real professional ones will provide like a construction estimate too which is cool. I would always double check it, but, uh, I got it. I see a f- question from Broderick Webb. When you start, what, when you say start off, 
with one thing. Can you dig on that a little? Yes. Um, so in other words, so right now, you know, we're doing um, modular housing, manufactured housing. There's differences. Um, we're doing self-storage units. We're doing fix and flips, wholesale, whole tail, commercial adaptive reuse. Like, don't do that. Like, like that takes years mm -hmm. of like get proficient at one strategy, whichever one it is. I think most people and probably most of the audience starts with wholesaling. That's fine. And you can be like our friend Darren. And I mean, he's, he's just an insane wholesaler. Like he's mm -hmm. amazing. Um, so in other words, do that, like get really good at one thing before you get tempted with the shiny penny to add a second. Mm -hmm. I think that's the challenge. Like people look at me and say, Hey, you know, I think, I think you should focus more on one thing and I'll, I'll be like, okay, but that's like, it's my life and I enjoy doing all these other things. So I you, you, you enjoy the, the, the building. Um, I do. I do. You know, and it's actually something that I, I brought up with Gary Harper, right? Cause you know, he came in for a consult and he's coming on again next month. And it's like, you know, everyone says, you know, focus on one thing. I can't focus on one thing. And clearly Gary, you're not focused on one thing. <laughs> right. So tell me about that. And he says, oh yeah, you can start as many businesses as you want so long as you have one integrator whose sole focus is that one business. You can't have yes. one integrator for two businesses. So it's just food for thought, right? but you got to focus on one, get it up and running, hire help. Someone runs it. Then you're allowed to start another company. Yes. And to answer, to further answer his question, like pick one that you really enjoy. Like don't, don't pick wholesaling because like it's supposed to be the easiest thing to start. I mean, you could argue that if you, if you were good at acquiring knowledge, um, fix and flipping can be pretty straightforward. The, mm -hmm. the thing I like about that is you're buying an asset that's, that's distressed and you're forcing appreciation by making it nice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, as long as you do that piece decently, and that's where I think people watch fix and flip and, or fix this house or whatever, mm -hmm. flip or flop or F and F or whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start swearing here. I'm going to stop. Uh, but they watch those shows and they think that they can just come in and do that. And they don't have like a quick pro forma, like mm -hmm. on a, even a napkin on, you know, roof seven. You know, just start the work. Yes. Yes. So I'll do that. I, I sometimes I buy those deals off them after they get themselves in trouble. Uh, and Jeremy on YouTube wants to know, looking back, would you still have gone into all these businesses or just focus on one or two things? You know what? That is an awesome question. Um, I, I would only, f you know, that's a great question. It, it depends what your goals are. If your goals are to be the highest revenue generating, like beast on the planet, maybe, and that fulfills you. I could see maybe doing one or two of them might be a quicker path. I think it would be. Um, if you enjoy, like I, like Steve said, I enjoy building things. So if I was, if I'm, we, we talk to my team all the time, we, we're just making hamburgers and cheeseburgers. You want, mm -hmm. you want that? You want Modern farmhouse finishes, or you want brush nickel, hamburger, cheeseburger, hamburger. If I do that for 20 years, I'm going to go nuts. Like, mm -hmm. and that, that's why I started adding other things. Cause I have other interests. Right. So I really think it's what you, you, you know, but I think also if you look at generally speaking, right. The profile of a person that's a starts one business because they like doing things. Yes. Right. The yes. person that starts a business is not the kind of person that likes doing the same thing all day, every day. No, so I think it just, it's just a, a, natural built in, uh, what's the word disposition, like this, who you are. Right. Yeah. And I think you said something earlier in this discussion. That's huge that I just kind of realized like light bulb two years ago, and I'm not the best at it either is it's all, if you're going to create businesses and you got to find the right people, like mm -hmm. 
if you're the best, if you could, if any of these people listening or watching could just find the best way to hire screen and manage people, you're going to skyrocket, like yeah. skyrocket. These have been challenges for us. And mm-hmm. I say us, I mean, me and now my wife, Jean's working with us, but I mean, it's like everybody, everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and I'm a little scared on like the, even my 13 year old, like what's the attention span of this next generation? I'm scared. Like you gotta dig in somewhere and do something, right? I don't you just know. gotta keep them engaged somehow, some way. Yeah. 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 All right. So um what is your biggest struggle right now as you're running through all these different businesses? My biggest struggle is really how to resource them. Again, getting it's really what we were just talking about. Getting getting the right people in the mm-hmm. right roles to help grow them. Um, we've been getting, when I say we now it's, so my wife, Jean came aboard in March, left the corporate world. She's our COO now. Um, so really what's cool about that is like Jean and I are building our own dynasty, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't have to, I'm pretty sure with, with a level of certainty after 17 years of marriage, I'm not going to screw her over and she's not going to screw me over in business or whatever. Um, but it's really just getting clear on what, what we want to go to. I mean, we've got at least three, four more years of straight hustle. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, do we move more towards passive? So what we're doing now, which is what's driving the number of businesses is a a good part of these businesses are active businesses. And some of these are passive businesses or assets. So I'm really just making money and like the fix and flips, the wholesale, the hotel, manufactured home modular and I'm buying self-storage. I'm buying, you know, putting them into these adaptive reuse commercial projects, monthly cash flow. Like that's we really do would rather like that that's where I want to be and that's the stage yeah. of my life we're in. Uh so going back to sourcing talent, what are you doing to get better at sourcing talent? All right. So that book, The Who, Not the How, mm-hmm. um, has been huge. Dan Sullivan. I was trying to, I, for years, I thought I was a decent guy creating ads. Um, some of our mastermind groups uh, put out, use this to get acquisitions, use this to get this. That's great. Works for some people. I was running stuff on Indeed, dating myself years ago. I was rolling stuff on Craigslist. You now people are like, what is that cool mm-hmm. in the tool? Um, it wasn't named after a guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was just not getting the quality of talent that we needed. Indeed, we've hired people off. It's been good. Now I said, Hey, it's a who, not a how. So I use a uh, recruiter and just, but not one. Um, I don't know. I'll mention him, Darren Carr. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've hired our last three people through him and he's got a nice compensation structure for himself, his company. That's not, it doesn't break the bank and they do a really nice job because they know how to talk to hundred, 110 people. They provide you a report every week, mm-hmm. spoke to 110 you know, it's just like us trying to get deals, right? Um, they got their own KPIs. Yeah, they got their own KPIs. So that's what I would do. And mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised even if you're starting out in the business, you can afford these guys. Like they're they're not ridiculous. All right, I'll have to check them out. Yeah. And then uh, now that you've read who, not how, have you checked out Strategic Coach? I have not been a Strategic Coach. Um, have you checked it out? Like, have you looked into it? I have looked into it. It looks it looks pretty awesome. I've I've always um, had friends that have shared some of the concepts of it with me like having a focus day and buffer days in your week, um, which was like super cool. So mm-hmm. like say if Monday's a buffer day, you get everything ready so that Tuesday is like a straight focus day with no distractions because mm-hmm. you got all your stuff. Um, I think it, I think it would be awesome. So yeah. I've gone through it. So I was going to say I highly recommend it if you haven't, if you're thinking about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, what is your why? All right. <clears throat> so everybody has seen wheel of fortune, right? Mm-hmm. I love that show. God bless Vanna. 
But at the end, there's a puzzle, right? And they all get R S T L N E Mm -hmm. are their five consonants Mm -hmm. and vowels or whatever. And then they get to pick three. So everyone that comes on these podcasts says it's God and it's my family, Mm -hmm. right? So let's just make that our R S T L N E. Of course it's that, but really my why is like, we were all given the same 24 hours a day and we were all given, I mean, everyone started at different places at different backgrounds, but like to not optimize your potential in this world, it's such a short blip. Like I have four or five people that I know in my network that passed away in the last 30 to 50 days like whether it was COVID related heart attacks or whatever. And I'm like, man, did they ever live to what they thought was their like optimum self? And I, that bugs me Mm -hmm. every day. That's my why. I mean, you know, we'll leave a legacy for the kids. And like I said, that's the RSTLN. But even if you do, is it the big enough legacy? Right. That's kind of what you're saying. Like, are you doing everything that you can possibly do? Right. And it's not comparing yourself to everybody else on social media or in mastermind mm-hmm. groups or in the, or whatever. Right. Cause that's, that's very depressing. I think for a lot of people, I mean, I've had those days where I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, we didn't do that well this month. And then I like, I just bought 7,000 apartment units and I'm like, do Son I suck? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't do, do that on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> but then you find out some, and then there's those people that are like, I own 0.0429% of 400 units. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right. So what, what does that mean? Yeah. Like that's cool. Right. For that person. I don't know. You know, it's interesting though. I think that there's different ways of approaching that. Right. Cause I see some other people's successes like, man, that's really cool for them. Yeah. How can I repeat that? Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. That, that's how I take it. I never like, Oh man, I suck. Or like, man, they're lucky or they don't deserve. Like it's, there's never any of that. It's always like, wow, that's possible. How can I do that? Maybe I'll give them a call and figure out how they did that. Right. Yeah. And you know, and, and here's the thing that's not told, right everybody's got terrible days. Like they ever, every one of us that are hard chargers Mm -hmm. has gotten the, you know what kicked out of them, Mm -hmm. gotten the door smashed in their face, had like deals fall through. I mean, it's, that's the reality, right? So that's how I look at it too. When I see our friends on like social media doing that, I'm like happy for them. Cause I'm like, I know the struggle it took to do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, but you got to figure out what you, what you want to do personally. Cause not everybody needs to be that to be fulfilled. Right. And I think that's my biggest challenge as a person. You know, it's like, when is enough enough? When am I fulfilled? Like we're constantly asking those questions, right? You know, and I think, uh, cause, uh, was it Damon, uh, Damon, were you in my room, uh, in, the last CG here? Uh, I don't think so. It was Doug and Damon in there. And Damon kind of talked about like, you know, like having really like crazy, crazy success, but do I keep going or right. do I slow down? Like, what do I do? And I think that's the challenge with every single achiever is like, man, all the success, I keep going, just slow down. And it's, I don't know how to slow down. And honestly, I think just from, from my observations, slowing down just leads to other problems. <laughs> Man, just, what happens when Tom Brady retires, right? Yeah. He's going to be a mess. <laughs> he's, he's, he's so used to being the, the goat. Right. I mean, they say that all the time with the guys in like professional sports. They mm-hmm. just, they're like, how do I fulfill this? Mm-hmm. Some term to drugs and alcohol, not, a, not by choice. But they're, well, I guess it's by choice, but I mean, they just, it sucks them in because they can't get that feeling of whatever back, you know, it's right. crazy. Yeah. So I think I'm with you here, right? Like, I mean, if someone, who was I talking to? Uh, but it was someone else, right? At, at the event, they're like, you know, like when is it time to retire? Like, do people like us retire? No, I think for me, it's like getting tons of monthly 
there's no such thing as straight passive. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe holding notes. They had Eddie in here. He's mm-hmm. the man. That's probably the most passive you're going to get holding mm-hmm. notes. But I mean, even owning storage units or owning rentals, there's there's some work to be done. But the point is, if you if you if everyone listening can get, you know, it's kind of the life and air model, right? I love that. Like, just figure out what your monthly budget is and mm-hmm. what you what your expenses are. Then figure out how to replace that. And, you know, and obviously figure out what you love to do every day. But once once the basics are taken care of, then it's like like heaven for me isn't going to be full retirement. It's going to be like, hey, I got this idea for a super cool treehouse Airbnb <laughs> like over this pond. And that's what I'm going to build. And I'm going to roll out there with my track loader. And I'm going to like throw a rope up and pull up timbers. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm in heaven. And then yeah. I'm going to drink a beer at the end of the day and go, that was freaking awesome. You right. Know? Yeah. So I think, I, I don't think it's a struggle for you. I mean, I think it, it feels like a struggle, but honestly, I think, I think you already know what you want. I, I do it, but I'll tell you. Um, so being in these mastermind groups, the first couple of years, I was really struggling with looking at what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and trying to like emulate some of that. And I was watching my own performance go down because I wasn't clear on what I wanted, but I was trying to get clear. I was talking to people, you know, I, I've never really sought out a really good coach like, I feel like um, if I wanted a really good coach, they would have have they would have to have some legit experience for me to want to follow them. Like, I don't want someone trained as a coach and they're like, you know, like I want someone that actually does, mm-hmm. you know, like you're you're where I want to be. Yeah. Like, so it's a it's a it's a it's like mentor or coach or both. I don't know. So I would argue that's a limiting belief. OK. I would also argue I have share that same exact limiting belief, okay. <laughs> right? Because okay. there's all these different EOS coaches, right? Or, or yes. whatever coaches out there. Right. There's no limit to how many coaches you can, you can hire. Right. Right. But I personally picked Gary Harper because I know if it's not Gary, I won't listen to them. Yes. Right. Yes. It's like, you can't give me advice because you're not actually in my world. Right. So. Right. He's not me, relevant. Yeah. And so it's probably not true. <laughs> But at the same time, I know myself, I won't believe you if you haven't done it. Right. Like some people say, like if like Grant Cardone, I think you can get him to personally mentor you for like a hundred grand or a hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. It's gotta be more than that. I know. I didn't think it was that bad. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at it like Sharon Lecter, you know, Rich mm-hmm. Dad Poor Dad, same thing. Yeah. She's like, she's like 150, 200. But I'm like, man, like if you're really believing you're gonna get that ROI and just where they're gonna introduce you to, mm-hmm. like even maybe bring you into some of their deals. I mean, pretty crazy thought. Yeah. So, so, um, anyway. how do you stay motivated? Um, that's a great question. I think for me, um, I spend at least one day a week out in the field cause I'm a hands-on guy. So I like to get out there. Like we've had people not show up to put a driveway in. I'll, I bought a new track loader this year, put my country music on, put on my HVAC sitting there, put in a driveway. Like I think between that and really just getting clear on our end goals. And when I say ours, I'm talking Gene and I as a couple, like, where are we going? Um, what do we want to be? That's really my motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but learning something new all the time is what keeps me going. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And what is your superpower? I think my superpower is really, um, relationships, people. Um, I don't know if you agree. I mean, I, I, I don't, I've never had someone tell me, Hey, your superpower is X. I know if you're a strategic co- uh, coach guy, then it's the unique ability or whatever's mm-hmm. kind of similar. Yep. Um, but I think it is people and relationships. Like yeah. you could throw me in a room with anybody and I'm going to be like getting along with them. You're going to be giving them a giant bear hug. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, you know, I am a pro- promoter um, on the PI index. Yeah. I am a promoter and I'm not, you've really, other than raising money, I don't think I'm really using that skill set. Mm-hmm. That's that I think I'd like to 
explore a little bit more in the next yeah. coming years. Yeah, definitely getting really uh, tuned in on your unique ability. It makes a big, big difference. Uh, the unfortunate thing then and the fortunate thing now is that when I discovered my unique ability, which is teaching, that was not very profitable owning a brokerage. Right. Very profitable in the direction I am now as a trainer. Yes. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think if you can get tuned in with unique ability, it's huge. Uh, is what is the greatest lesson you ever learned? Um, the greatest lesson I ever learned other than I'll tell you what, this kind of plays into the, the, I would say, you know, what I've should have done more of. I felt that like you look back and you beat yourself up. Right. But 2006, seven, when I was starting, I should have bought more assets. I, I, sh I mean, you know, buy assets and don't get too fat. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody says. That is for real. I mean, I have friends that bought 160, 200 units in 2007. They got free and clear somehow by flipping them or selling a few by 2014, 15. They got all this time. Like I have some of that going on too, but mm -hmm. it's just, I should have done more of that yeah. than um, looking for the quick dollar. So if you're a fix and flipper wholesaler now, my biggest advice don't buy the Lambo unless you can buy the Lambo off cash flow. That's fine. Yeah. But, and if you really like Lambos, it's fine. I like Lambos, but like take the money and buy something that's going to build your future or secure right now. I got another friend. He just told me a 20, 21 or two mobile home parks. He, he talked himself into selling like 55, $60 million worth of them. He's like, man, I am screwed right now. And I said, why? You got all this cash. He goes, because what's going on with the administration and our economy? I'm losing 12% a year on my idle cash because of inflation. Mm -hmm. And that was like, whoa, man, that was insane. Yeah. Like, you know, because everyone a year ago was like, go to cash, go to mm -hmm. cash, go to cash. Mm -hmm. Got to take advantage of the economy dying. Well, now you got to be in hard assets. or Your cash is worth nothing in like yeah. three weeks. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit like, like Venezuela. Yes, um, yes, or Greece, yeah. And I do remember, right, as a realtor in 2007, 2008, I'm showing these properties and I'm selling them for 30000 50000 My records, I have four properties I sold as a realtor, right? One for 10500 Yep. 17000 15000 19000 right? These are properties I sold yeah. as a realtor. <clears throat> and I was thinking, God, it sucks that I'm a broke realtor. Because I know if I can buy these, this will work out in the long run. I know that as a fact. Yeah. I'm a broke realtor. I tell you <laughs> what. do anything about it. I'm looking for portfolios of cash flow to buy now. Like, yeah. just that's what I'm looking for. I was looking at 67 units the other day. Like, how? what can I get that for? How can mm -hmm. I get it? Because you get all the depreciation benefits, right? If you're running a total cash business um, off of, like, fix and flips, wholesales, or whatever, you need to, instead of writing Uncle Sam a check every year, you need to ha like have a 60 unit, whatever, and do a cost segregation study mm -hmm. or whatever to force depreciation to not have to write that check. Right? right. So I think most of the viewers right now are going, you guys are either over my head or this sounds impossible or no, I'm doing that. But you can do that. I would partner with someone, get real professional and serious about what you're doing. And if you want to get into some of the bigger stuff, then, you know, partner on some, give them a piece of the deal to get those assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big learning. I'm looking at syndicating now too. Cause yeah. like, I think that's well, way to go bigger, quicker. Knowing now, <clears throat> if I knew then what I know now, I could have acquired those properties, right? It would have been a simple call to a hard money lender. Right. I didn't know these things, right? No. I was just, again, I was just a realtor. 
That, that's it. I know we don't know what we don't know, but in yeah. hindsight, can you live with yourself in hindsight? I guess oh, that's yeah, totally the challenge, fine. right? Totally fine. I'll survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's true. What was your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? My most interesting failure? Um, you know, I'll, I'll be very, like, open and transparent. Um, one of them, other than, you know, having a partner, one of them was really just a few years ago. We bought a house from a wholesaler. Um, and this just tells you, man, you could have 15, 20 years experience, whatever. And this stuff still happens to you, but mm-hmm. we just bought this older house. This was a pre night. It was a 1912 built house. Um, oh my gosh, just, it flooded in the basement. It had a tree fall on it after we fully <laughs> renovated it. We renovated parts of it three times because the, the project manager we had hired on our team internally, our construction manager wasn't watching what they're doing. They ripped out all the wind, replaced all the windows. Then they like took all the antique moldings while they replaced the windows. So now I have no moldings inside or out. So that's another like 10 grand. Like it just kept getting worse and worse. Had a roof put on, they ran out of shingles. So like they did the backside in a different color and we didn't see it till we put it on the market. And like, literally I drove by one day and some, a, a tree branch fell and ripped the electrical off the side of the house and it was on fire. And I'm said to myself, do I just let it burn, baby? Like freaking burn. And then I'm like, I can't, it'll come back to me on insurance. So, you know, we go and we're putting the flames out, but we did lose. Like I lost like 80, 85 grand on that. You put out that fire with a fire, with a hose. I did. It was going up the side of the building, like on the siding. It wasn't that big yet. Oh, but wow. I, I wanted to go just throw like two gallons of 93 octane on it and just watch it burn. <laughs> but that house just sucked the life out of us, you know, but it's that is the opposite of the Pareto rule. It's just yes. that 1% of 1% or whatever. And it's just a disaster. But talking about doing the right thing, man, I had a private lender on that. And literally that was like an equity deal. I had worked with them and they would have like not gotten a good return, probably lost some money. Mm-hmm. So instead what I did is I just gave them a huge return and I just took it as a write off on our taxes. So like, you know, I kept that relationship with him and then he sold me a warehouse. So like, it was kind of cool later on. But like, yeah. I think you got to do that kind of stuff. Like, like don't, don't violate your core, even if core values, even if something bad goes sideways. Even if it's easy to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and people would forgive you for it, but it's still not right with you. Right. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? You know, I'm going to go with a different one. Um, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, T. Harvecker. Mm-hmm. That was a really good book. I think it was T. Harvecker. It was. Yeah, yeah. It was a great book. Fantastic yeah, yeah. book. Yeah. I just love that, man. I love Mm -hmm. that someone could grow up like with parents that just mistreated money Mm -hmm. and you could literally go through this process to reprogram your mind to like attract money instead of pushing it away. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know that that book has resonated with me and it's super simple read. It's only like a half inch thick. It's simple, simple read, simple to listen to. Yep. Right. The thing that was hard for me was that my wife was telling me all those things Yep. and I wasn't listening to her. They're always right, Steve. I know. And then I read the book or listened to the book together. I was like, hey, you say that. It's like, oh, now you'll listen to it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like who not has my new one. I've like yeah. I've been referencing that for like six months now. Uh, so I want to think about something you want to leave the last the, leave the listeners with. I'll make just a couple of quick announcements. Guys, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment, leave us a five star review on iTunes. The more we can share this and reach more people, the more millionaires we can create. Uh, we do have our 
uh, two and a half day live event coming up next week. If you guys are interested, go to disruptors.com slash workshop. Uh, it's, you get to see my team in operation. You guys actually get to ask them questions uh, while, while they're actually working. So two and a half days in our office. Um, and with that, what thoughts would you like to leave the listeners with? You know, I I just like to tell everybody whatever whatever um, level you're at in your career, like even if you've got a job now and you want to be in real estate, just take action. I, I think like literally like anyone that takes action is gonna fail forward and mm-hmm. keep going. Um, you might you want failure fast, right? You want it as quick as you can get to it. It's like going to a seller and getting your first no. Mm-hmm. Like you're setting the anchor in your life, right? Just take action and don't don't get overwhelmed by everybody else's successes or whatever because they probably all have a story. Yeah. So I don't know. That yeah. would be my number one. Awesome, awesome. And if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Yep. Um, I've got my website is optimisticcapital.com or uh, Michael T. Moulton on Instagram. That's probably the best way. You know, I didn't get a chance to ask it. What is Optimistic Capital? So that is our, uh, that's my website for raising funds to do these bigger projects we're doing as we're putting stuff into our passive, uh, passive library mm-hmm. of assets. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. It was so fun. It was awesome, man. Thank you guys for watching. See you all next week.